Let's take our Bibles. Genesis chapter 17, we'll start there. And of course, as in any Bible study, we'll be in a lot of different places tonight. But Genesis chapter 17, if you didn't get a handout, raise your hand. I think Brother Vogel has those. If you need one, just slip up your hand and he'll get one to you. Genesis chapter 17. Just a few weeks now, um, matter of fact, uh, three weeks, we have our spring revival. We haven't been able to have that in a couple of years. We're looking forward to that. And so the Man Up Conference on the 26th of March, I believe it is, and the 27th we start with uh, Brother Calvin Allen here at the church. And it'll just be him this year. It's not the whole quartet. Um, still not very easy to travel for everybody, but let's remember that meeting in prayer. We're looking forward to it. Pray for the Man Up Conference. We're looking forward to the good day here. And uh, apparently, I guess when we first put out the news about it, uh, there wasn't a great response. Some churches in Toronto area said, our, a lot of our folks are kind of scared of everything still, so we're not going to come. And then uh, within about a week or so now, it looks like it's going to fill up in here. So we're looking forward to a good time. Uh, that's on that Saturday, and then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we'll have Brother Allen here. We're looking forward to that. In June, we're, we're doing something a little different in June just because we... Um, uh, we've been away from things for so long. Uh, Dr. Sisk is coming, and he'll be here for our graduation. And then we're going to have him for a couple extra nights. We'll do some extra meetings and just enjoy some preaching and have a good time with Dr. Sisk. He's 80, I think 89 years old now, and uh, he doesn't act it. And uh, you can't make him angry. He smiles at everything. If you get upset, he says, oh, go take a baby aspirin and get over it. Is what he tells you. He doesn't. Nothing phases him. He doesn't worry. And and uh, but just he's preached in over sixty countries around the world and has some great great wisdom, some great uh, messages for us. And so we're looking forward to that in June. So he'll. It's Father's Day that night. Is graduation. He'll preach that. And then Monday, Tuesday, we'll have a couple nights of meetings as well. And we're looking forward to that. And then uh, this summer, we're planning on having the Morrison family. I don't know if you've ever heard them. They call themselves the Morrison Sisters, but Dad sings with them as well. And uh, incredible, incredible harmonies. I just uh, I really never heard anything so smooth like that. And just really, really good. And they will take an old hymn, and you'll think you heard it for the first time. Just the way they rearrange it and do things with it. It's incredible. And so that we're looking forward to that. They're supposed to be here in August, or uh, sorry, July, and Harry Strachan's coming to preach while they're here for our Chicken on the Grounds weekend. And the date is a little bit tentative right now. It's on the calendar, but uh, Brother Strachan's got a, uh, a wedding that he has to be at. So we're, we're just going to manipulate that a little bit maybe. And then uh, this fall, we're going to do something a little different too for our anniversary weekend. Um, we have Brother Tony Shirley coming. Anybody heard that name before, Tony Shirley? Uh, Tony Shirley uh, preaches, uh, he's, he's from, where is he, from West Virginia, I think. He, he's from Kentucky originally. He is a hick. He's a southerner. Uh, but just the power of God is on his messages every time I've heard him uh, several times over the years and does a lot of youth conferences and things. So he's coming. And then Joey Vasek and his wife, uh, Rebecca, you never knew Joey is a married man, but he's coming with his wife and they both sing beautifully. And uh, Joey preaches at a lot of youth conferences around the country now. The Lord is just using him to do that. And so we're going to have both those men preach a youth conference while they're here on the weekend. So we're going to do our banquet right now. It looks like we're going to try to do our banquet Friday night, and then Saturday's going to be a youth conference all day, and then Sunday will be our anniversary services. So I know it's a busy weekend, but 
we've let you do nothing for two years. I mean, come on, right? So it'll be uh, it'll be a good time. We're looking forward to it, and uh, so be in prayer for prayer for all those things. And uh, we're, we're thrilled that we're able to do this. Uh, Brother Shirley was supposed to come two years ago, and everything shut down on us, so it just didn't work out. Anyway, let's look at Genesis chapter 17. We're just going to read one verse tonight, and we're going to look at the the fourth part of our series, How Great Is Our God? And we've just looked at some of his attributes, if you will. And we're not, we're not digging into all of his uh, other attributes. Of course, there's, there's hundreds of them, isn't there? God is love, and he's mercy, and he's grace, and he's all those things. But we're looking at uh, four, I, I guess you might say, if we have five fundamentals of the faith, these are four fundamentals of, of who he is. We looked at he's immutable, or he never changes. We looked at he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at once, or he can be everywhere at once. And tonight he's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. And so we will not exhaust this topic tonight. We won't. We're just going to give you a foundation for it. Theology books have been written three, four hundred pages thick that describe how powerful our God is. And the greatest theology book is right here. And it just talks about from cover to cover, all we see is the power of God. And so let's just look tonight kind of at the basics of it all. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, we pray. Lord, to understand the doctrines of the word of God. And tonight, as we look at your uh, almighty hand, we pray that you would help us to grasp, uh, Lord, how small we are and how much we need your power. Father, bless the time in your word. We need your Holy Spirit to help us, so fill us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, pull out your notes if you got them there and look at Roman numeral one. In Roman numeral one, we're going to look at a rendering or a definition of the word omnipotent or almighty God. Om- omnipotent, simply put, God is able to do anything that is consistent with his nature and within the boundaries of his self-imposed laws, the word of God. I kind of put a summary statement right at the beginning, and we will set out to prove that with Scripture as we go tonight. But let's read it again. Simply put, God is able to do anything that is consistent with his nature and within the boundaries of his self-imposed laws, the Word of God. Because there's always, there's always those guys who say, well, isn't there something God cannot do? As a matter of fact, there is. But only because he imposed that upon himself. He is bound by his own word. Uh, how many of you have ever heard those guys, can God make a rock so big that he wouldn't be able to lift it up? Well, that, that follows under the category that we read in, in, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians, of foolish questions. And so we just need to stay away from that nonsense because it's not in the character of God. It just, I mean, God can, he built the universe. He can obviously do whatever he wants to do, but he puts limitations upon himself that are consistent with his character and with the self-imposed laws of the word of God. So let's look tonight, first of all, the revelation. We see it in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, when the Bible there says Almighty God, the word Almighty is not a descriptor. It's not an adjective like we would find normally in the English language. We'd say, well, it's a a big dog. 
And big would be the adjective. But this is not in that sense when it says Almighty God. This is actually the name of God that we find here in the Bible. Does anybody know what that word is in the Hebrew? It might be in your notes. I might, I might have put it in there. I'm not sure. What is the Hebrew name there? Is it say El Shaddai? El Shaddai. How many, you've heard that name, haven't you? The, there's a song, isn't there? I think Callie sings it. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, and then some of the names of God in that song. El Shaddai means Almighty God. That's his name. I don't know if you know, but a lot of our names are descriptive names. When you are named some, your name means something, right? I was teasing the kids at the, at the house, and we have one of those Alexas. You know what an Alexa is? Alexa Dot. My daughters got me an Alexa dot for my birthday, and the other one got me some outlets and things, and, and so I can say, Alexa, turn on the lights, and the lights come on. Tony closes the curtains. At Christmas, I got a garage door thing that hooks to my opener, and I can say, Alexa, open the garage. Or I can use my phone. My, my controllers are gone. They never came with the house. and So now I can use my phone if I got groceries and I want to open the garage or whatever. And So it's kind of, kind of neat, but you can, you can do all kinds of things with this thing. And Josh was sitting on the couch, and we were just joking and laughing and talking. And I said, and it came up about names. I said, well, how did your mom pick your name? And he told us, and I can't remember the whole story, but I said, do you know what your name means? And, of course, Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. It's the Old Testament form of Jesus Christ. And he says, no, I don't. And he said, oh, I'm going to ask Alexa. He says, Alexa, what does Joshua mean? And the definition came back and told him what he meant. And Bella tried and it didn't work, but her name is Isabella. So she tried that and then got a definition back. And they said, well, what's your name mean, Pastor? I said, it means handsome. I said, but I mean, that you should know that, right? I mean, they said, it does not. And they said, Alexa, what's Alan mean? And they said, handsome. I was right. I, I, I don't know. I, I think my mom nailed it. I don't know about you. Anyway... But the, the names of God all have a meaning. They're descriptive. And El Shaddai means Almighty God. We see that, that phrase, Almighty God, 56 times in the Bible, but uh, in the Old Testament, I believe it's 42, only 42 times. In the New Testament, it, it's something different. It is in the New Testament, it is a descriptor. It's more of an adjective in the New Testament. They don't use the name of God in the same way. And so we see Almighty God was revealed to uh, Abram, and it's used only of God in the Bible. Now, there are other words that we would translate the word God in the Bible, and it would be used in other senses. So the word El is, is a Hebrew word for God, but it can be Almighty God or it can be false gods. So when you see the gods that the, 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 the people were dancing to on Mount Carmel and they were trying to worship, that small g gods is also the word El. And so it has to be defined by something else in the Bible. It's, it just means deity when it's El. So we have the word El Shaddai or El Ohim, and we have different names for the word of God. But tonight we're going to look at this one, the Almighty God. He revealed himself to Abraham, Moses, to believers, and to John as the Almighty One. And so in John, Genesis 17, verse 1, I put some verses there, I believe, for you. It's the first one that we look at. And he says, I am the Almighty God. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 3, he also appeared to Jacob. And Jacob, he said, I am Almighty God. 
is a name that is used, like I said, 42 times in the Old Testament, and it describes his power. That's what we want to talk about tonight, that he is all-powerful, almighty. There is no limit or extent to what he can do. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 6. I think that's in your notes. I tried to put the scripture in there for you. Exodus chapter 6. I want, I want to dig deep into this, just this passage for a few moments tonight. Exodus chapter 6, and we, we see here that God is introducing himself to Moses. That starts back in Exodus chapter 3. But now we come to Exodus chapter 6, and Moses has been proven to God. God has proven to Moses that he is the great I am. In Exodus chapter 3, I am that I am hath sent thee. The, the phrase I am just means he exists. Who am I? I'm the one who exists. And so tonight we're going to look at a couple of the other names to help us understand Almighty God. Genesis chapter, or sorry, Exodus chapter 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his hand, out of his land. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Now, in the Bible, when you see the word Lord, all capitalized, L-O-R-D, it is the word Jehovah. Jehovah. Jehovah means the self-existent one. Self-existent one. So when God said, I am, he said, I exist. I'm here. I'm everywhere. Think about that. Moses was about to trek across the wilderness and go into Egypt and visit with his family in Goshen, and, and they're going to say, well, who sent you? I am the one who exists. So everywhere you go, there he is. He would go into the courts of Pharaoh. He'd go from Goshen into, uh, into the capital of Egypt. And he'd go into the presidential palace, and he'd address Pharaoh, and he'd say, well, who sent you? He'd say, I am the one who exists. He doesn't just exist in Goshen, but he exists here too. He's everywhere. But when we say Jehovah, God is saying, I'm the self-existent one. I don't need anything else to help me. I can, I can live all by myself. I always have been. I always will be. I, I don't need anything to give me life. I am life. And so he is Jehovah. So he says to, uh, in Exodus to Moses, uh, the, and God spoke to Moses, said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. We already saw that. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein there were strangers. And so notice what is going on here. He says to Abraham, you know me as I am. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob know me as Almighty God. But now I want to introduce myself as Jehovah. Now the name Jehovah being the self-existent one also speaks to him being omnipotent, doesn't it? If he is self-existent, if he has always been, and he, if he transcends time, he was before all that we know as creation, he is all-powerful. And so he is the self-existent one. And then we see, uh, he begins to say all the things that his power will accomplish. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. How can a God or anybody hand over an entire land to a people unless he is almighty? He is all-powerful. Satan tried to take that place when he tempted Jesus, didn't he? He said, he says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, Satan had some sort of claim because he is the prince of the power of the air. 
but he did not own the land itself. And so he was trying to deceive Jesus and tempt him by paying him homage that he might give to him the kings of the world. Jesus doesn't need his help because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And when he returns in power and glory, the Bible says that he will ride upon a, a horse and on his vesture he'll say the amen and the true. He is the word of God and the word will go forth out of his mouth and slay all the armies of the wicked one and he will reign victorious. He is almighty God. So read on, what, verse 5. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel. I, I read that and I thought, wow. Here, here's a God who is almighty, all-powerful, and he can hear <coughs> the hurts and the pains of his people, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore I say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you of, out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched-out arm and with great judgments. Think about this. Scholars say that they believe there's about 3 million Israelites by this time. 3 million. Think about that. And 3 million were not able to get an army to lead themselves out. But God all by himself said, I will lead you out. I'll take you up. No problem. He is almighty God. Verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I, will, I am the Lord. I will bring you up from under the burden of the Egyptians and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you, uh, to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord, I am Jehovah your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage, I am Jehovah the Lord. His names speak of his power. So it's revealed, first of all, tonight through his name. In the New Testament, we see the name Almighty God, but it's not used the same as a name of God, but as a descriptor of God. But if you're going to describe God as Almighty, that's incredible. It only happens a few times. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, and then every other time it's in the book of Revelation. Why that in the book of Revelation? Because in the book of Revelation, God will prove he's almighty. There will be no doubt at all. Revelation chapter 21 says he'll sit upon the throne and they will call him almighty God. He will prove it. So it's revealed through his name. Secondly, it's revealed through his nature. Turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. There's a great verse here I want you to see. And I could, I could pull up 50 verses on this subject, but we're trying to Keep it relatively brief tonight. Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. And you see that, O Jehovah, our Lord. And it's spelled differently, isn't it? At least it's not capitalized like the first. He's saying, O Jehovah, our master. O Jehovah, we serve you. That's what he's saying when he says, O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Listen to this. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, 
What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? You understand what the psalmist is implying here. He's saying the, the moon and the stars, they're just the work of your fingers. It didn't take much for you to do that. He's almighty God. So he says, let's consider his nature. If we would just pause and consider the work of his hands, we cannot deny that he is all-powerful. Uh, on Sunday night, we got home, and Sunday night is often our night to have Mexican something. And my wife is Mexican, so we like so we had some nachos on Sunday night, and that was our kind of our supper our snack. And uh, the kids were up having nachos with us, Josh and Bella and Beth, and and so I, uh, I put on uh, a video on the TV, and it was Mark Lowry. You guys know who Mark Lowry is. I thought the kids would get a kick out of him. And it was, it was I, I'm kind of careful because he can be kind of a nut sometimes in his doctrine too, right? But, uh, he, but I, I picked a good one, and, and we were watching it. And he was just talking about he, he met an atheist. A friend of his was coming over and for supper, and, and they'd brought a friend from work. And he said, just you know, bring a friend if you want. That's fine. We'll have a barbecue. And he brought this friend. He was an atheist. And he said, he says, I'd, he says here's what I told him. He said, I'd be an atheist too if I had that much faith. And he went on, he said, to believe that everything we see that has design and order and works in precision happened because of some cosmic burp billions of years ago. I don't have enough faith to believe that. He says, I believe there's design, that God created it and put it into place. And it was a, it was a lot more words than I'm just going to share with you tonight. I don't remember it all. But I thought, man, he just it was so good what he was saying about how God put everything in place intricately formed and so it's revealed through his nature and we just need to stop sometimes to consider we worry about so many little things don't we i was talking about those baseball players worrying about well i'm only making 34 million i need 35 what is wrong with you you know and there's a war in ukraine if we would stop and realize how god keeps that has been keeping this earth spinning for all these years and the sun comes up every morning and man our problems will get real small when we know there's a god that has that kind of power he can take care of it all. So it's revealed through his nature. But let's look at tonight, also n- number three, some restrictions. Does omnipotence have any limitations? Is God limited by anything? I want to give you a couple things. Number Letter A there, that which is contrary to his character. That which is contrary to his character. How many of you have ever said about somebody, well, that was kind of out of character, and, you know, they, whether somebody's real mild-mannered and they snap and get angry or somebody that uh, normally is, is uh, very kind and pleasant, maybe you heard them cussing or something, and you go, wow, that's just out of character. And, and, uh, but God never steps out of his character. Never. He's always true to himself. So you say, well, does God have limitations? Let's look at a couple. Number one, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. Amazing thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's so easy to lie. God can't do it. The Bible says in Titus 1 verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Think about this. If there's anything I don't want God lying about, it's eternal life. I don't want to get to heaven and find out I was just joking. I'm glad to know that that's secure. God cannot lie. And so he cannot do anything contrary to his character. Understand 
God's character is what he said it would be, right? And so he has set these limitations for himself. It's not like somebody has come along and said, well, God, we're going to tell you, we'd, we'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't lie. And so, okay, well, I'll, I won't lie anymore. No, God put these limitations right from his beginning. He cannot lie. And, and, and to be honest with you, that makes sense to me. Because it doesn't matter what God says, he's God. And so therefore, it's true. Because everything would change to match what he says anyway, right? If God said that white was black, we'd all have to believe it's black because he made it. He created it. And if he just said, well, no, you got it wrong all these years. It's not white. It's really black. He's telling the truth. And we're the ones that are wrong. And so God cannot lie. Number two, he cannot be tempted to sin. He cannot be tempted to sin. Now, I'm going to give you a verse, James 1.13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. You cannot tempt God to sin. The Lord Jesus Christ proved that even when he laid aside his glory and was in the flesh in the wilderness. The devil tried to tempt him three times and he could not be tempted. He would not be drawn away of his own lust. Remember, temptation is not just something that is put in front of you to make you think. The Bible says in the book of James that we are tempted when we are drawn away by our own lust. So when, when it takes a hold of our heart, it takes hold of our eye and, and we begin to think, hmm, when there's a moral dilemma going on, when there's a decision to be made, God doesn't have to make a decision. He knows what's right and he does it. There's just, there's just no uh, variance or shadow of turning, the Bible says, with God. So he cannot be tempted to sin. Now think about the, the, the implications of that. What if God just decided, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want and I'm going to turn things and start doing wrong? You think the world's falling apart now. Imagine if God changed his character. Number three, he cannot deny himself. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. He said, what, what does that really mean? It means God has never doubted anything. He's always been true. He's never doubted a decision he's made. He's never uh, been questioned by us or questioned himself. He is beyond reproach. He cannot deny himself. And, and so his, he's, he's, he can't do anything that is contrary to his character. Here's some good guidelines to go along with that. When you hear something, whether it's some voice in your head, and I'm not talking about audible voices, don't get me wrong, but how many of you have laid awake at night worrying? You ever had those nights? And how many of you know when, that's when the devil starts picking at you, Right? And it's almost like you can hear and you start maybe doubting your salvation. Here, here's, here's what I know. That is not the voice of God because he cannot deny himself. And if that helps you to put those thoughts out of your head, I told you about our friend years ago who said, uh, Pastor, I just, I'm so embarrassed by my family and all the things that's going on in my family. And she's, I mean, she's 70 years old and her kids are all grown and got grandkids and all the rest. And she says, I'm just so embarrassed. I don't think I can come to church anymore. And I said, okay. And she said, what? She thought I was going to talk her out of it. And I said, well, if that's what the Lord wants, she says, oh, that's not the Lord, is it? I said, no, he cannot deny himself. He is always true. We just need to trust him. So he cannot do what is contrary to his character. Number two, does it have limitations? The second limitation is that which is created by his choice. So number one, that which is contrary to his character. Number two, that which is created by his choice. In other words, he set up limitations 
he chose to do those things. So number one, he cannot go against his own will. He can't do it. In other words, God has a plan and he carries it through to the end. He's not going to change. He's not going to vary. There may be a lot of forks in the road along the way, but that's because of our involvement, not his. Because we take a long way to get to somewhere he's pointing. His is a straight road and ours is a whole bunch of you know, wrong turns sometimes. So let me give you an example. First John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16. I think that's there. It says, God is love. God is love. So we can be guaranteed that everything God does is in love. Even judgment, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Everything he does is in love. The moment somebody says, well, God doesn't love me, they are not lining themselves up with the character of God because that's just not true. He is limited. In other words, he cannot stop loving you no matter what. And he expressed that love at Calvary, didn't he? He sent his son to die for you. doesn't matter who you are. He died for the whole world, and he wants to redeem you and bring you to heaven. And so uh, there, there's just no way he can go against your love. You say, God doesn't love me. You don't know God because God is love. Um, number two, he cannot go against his own word. So he cannot disobey his will, and he cannot disobey his word. Psalm 89, verse 34 is the verse there. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. God cannot break his word. He cannot go against the word of God. If he is written, that's, that's why I, I tell you, I'm not really worried about it. You say, well, what is Russia? Are we, are we in the end times? Are we? Uh, I don't know. But here's what I do know. If God has written it down, you can't change it anyway. He's going to follow through with it, and we just need to trust him, and he knows what's going on. And... Uh, the Bible says in, in the book of Matthew, there was going to be a lot of, a lot of birth pangs first. And we may be feeling that, I don't know. But one day, the sky will open up and the trumpet will sound and we'll be out of here. And, and uh, all hell will break loose on earth because that son of perdition will take over the Antichrist. Let's look at the fourth thing, some ramifications or some applications. How do we view his omnipotence. How, how do we see that in our daily lives? Letter A, creation. In creation. I, I think if anybody were just to stop and look and think, like the comedian said, about the order and the design of our earth, how could they deny that God is in control? Psalm 33 verse 9 says, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The chapter is referring to creation and the Genesis account of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Do you want to know what the amazing thing was? He hadn't even created the sun yet. And he lit up the whole world and the sun wasn't even created yet. And so he said it and it happened. He commanded and it stood fast. We see his omnipotence in creation. Number two, we see his omnipotence in the preservation of all things. You'll be thankful for this. Listen to this verse, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, whom he had by himself pursed our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You know, the alarmists would have us believe that the world is falling apart. 
but God is in control. It may not look like it. Uh, you know, I, I, would, I would guess that there's been times in history where things were pretty bad. We just don't get to see it every day on TV like they do today. We don't have an internet. I, I heard an interview with um, a, a fellow that was in Hollywood for years, and now he's a born-again Christian. I can't think of his name. And he, he, he says, you know, 35 years ago, he says, when I was deep in Hollywood and I was making shows and things, he says, there was only three stations, really. ABC, NBC, CBS. He's talking about the United States of America. He says, today there's hundreds. He says, the increase of knowledge is incredible. And he says, communications and the things that we can watch. And so there's been a lot of bad times in history. Don't be alarmed by evil men doing evil. The Bible says they will wax worse and worse. But instead, understand that God is preserving all things. He's upholding it with his hand. And so the Bible, my favorite verse, uh, Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I'll help thee, yea, I'll uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We can trust him. He's preserving us. And boy, I tell you what, that's a good thing to know when you think I'm just holding on by a thread. No, you're not. God's got you. You're solidly in his grip. Letter C, his omnipotence is displayed in the resurrection of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. Listen, if you can raise the dead, you're all powerful. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Think about the things that we're talking about tonight. We are talking about some of the very fundamentals of our faith I'm not talking about the, those, those five things that we often name as fundamentals, but I'm saying these are fundamental. If we did not believe that God created everything, why are, why are we even bothering worshiping him? He is creator. He is God. He is all-powerful. He is keeping all things. And we know that he rose Jesus Christ from the dead. He is all-powerful. But then we also see his power displayed in the gospel. Romans 16, 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation in every one that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I was at a youth conference about 20 years ago, and uh, we had this big tent set up, and, and uh, we were at a different church, and we were just helping with a vacation Bible school, and they did VBS all day, and on the Friday night, they said, we're going to invite teens from the community, and this church had come from Maryland of the United States, and they had this tent set up, and they had all these kids come, and they were able to get churches from other places to come, and, and had some visitors there, some kids from the community, and the guy got up, and he, he wanted to give a testimony before the other guy preached about how he got saved. And he says, you know, he says, I... I'd gone to church all my life, but he says, one day I was in the shower, and he said, I was just wondering, and he says, then this warm feeling came over me, and I just knew that I was going to heaven. That's baloney. It's not the power of a shower, my friend. It's the power of the gospel. The Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And it's not just any gospel, by the way. The gospel simply means good news. It is the gospel of Christ. Um, Spurgeon said, if your gospel has no Christ, you are not preaching a gospel at all. Go and find Christ and then return to the altar. We need the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. You cannot be saved outside of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. And so that's the Holy Spirit's power that brings it into our lives. 
Letter E, the believer's security. Hey, you'll be glad to know this. Not only is he preserving all things, he's preserving you if you're saved. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God. Hey, let me ask you this. If you're kept by the power of God, would you be okay if he only had like a medium power? A so-so power? Here, here's, in my generation, somebody might argue with me because you're from a different generation. But in my generation, I think the most brutal, toughest boxer I ever saw was Mike Tyson. And he's a mess. The guy's an absolute mess. Some of you might say Muhammad Ali, right? And going back a little bit further, George Foreman, the rumble in the jungle, whatever. But I remember being in college, and Mike Tyson was going to be fighting Buster Douglas, I think it was. And a bunch of guys said, well, let's get together. We'll all throw in five bucks, and we'll watch the pay-per-view, and we'll watch this great fight. And so we, both 20 of us got down there, and we were watching this fight. And just about the fight was just about to start. And the doorbell rang, and somebody said, pizza's here. So the guy got up, one of the guys got up. <coughs> he went to the door, he got the pizza, he came back, and the fight was over. It was 11 seconds, the fight. They walked out of the corner, Mike Tyson hit him once, down, over, gone. And the guy's like, I paid five bucks for that? I said, shut up and eat your pizza, right? And uh, we weren't paying him back, we were poor college students. But uh, when, when I think about that, here, here's what I know. He had a record at one point, I think it was like 48 and 0. But eventually it became 48 and 1. Muhammad Ali lost to George Foreman one time. Holyfield? You ever see Holyfield? Vander Holy? Man, he's a big guy. He lost once in a while. Those are the most powerful thing on earth we have. To, as far as men go, that's the, those are the most powerful guys on earth pretty much, aren't they? I don't know, maybe like those professional wrestlers, but it's all fake, right? I, I don't want somebody that has a 48-1 record watching over my salvation. God is all-powerful. Never lost the fight. It's, oh, God, God is love. He doesn't, God has fights all the time, let me tell you. That Satan is always after him. But God has never lost the battle and never will, by the way. So you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then our last one, letter F, his omnipotence is displayed in the believer's hope of resurrection. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. 1 Corinthians 15, that's all it talks about, is the resurrection of both Christ and the saints. And we're believing in the power of God to unite our bodies with our spirit, and one day we'll be forever with God. God is all-powerful, almighty, and if that's who you're trusting, you're in pretty good hands. You don't ever have to worry about a thing. All right? Let's have a word of prayer tonight, and then we'll break up, and you guys can pray as long as you like, and please spend some time in prayer. Pray for the Ukraine. Pray for Canada. Uh, we need prayer too. And uh, I, I don't know that you could live in any country in the earth and you couldn't say we need prayer. And so let's pray for our country, pray for our leaders, pray for the Ukraine, and not just them. There's others. Pray for Russia, pray for Belarus, and so many innocent people that just get... Remember I told you about Moldova? They just Sometimes they just get pushed into doing things they don't want to do, but let's just pray for them, all right? Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We pray you 
Help us, Lord, as we come to prayer. Help us to know that when we go to the throne of grace, the one upon the throne is almighty, all-powerful God. We never have to worry about his uh, limitations or what he cannot do outside of the word of God. So as long as we are praying in your will, we know that you are able. Bless us now, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday.